0: Past Ball Show. Brought to you by John What the f
1: do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't f- so the tribe drops its third straight district, this six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see. One hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit.
0: Ever put out in the 100 years of the sell the team oh yes coming at you another Saturday morning right here on the MTR radio network of course this is a pass ball show brought to you by John P.L.A. E. and JohnPLA.com. and you know really last week I had the opportunity to go to a very good uh, charity fundraiser for a good cause it's the uh, the best uh, organization and what they do is they provide uh, college scholarship money for, uh, for for kids in need and they did a phenomenal job. And, you know, during that outing, there were several uh, former baseball players that were there led by guys like Andre Dawson and Lee Smith. And it, w- it turned out to be a be a phenomenal event. What I was able to get out of it is I, I was able to uh, get some contacts with some people that were there. And I did a couple interviews and you're going to hear them today on the past ball show. We're going to start out by an interview that I recorded with former Mets pitcher Jack Fisher and Jack Fisher, of course, pitched for the Mets into the mid to late 60s and obviously was no longer part of that team by the time they had uh, won the world series championship in 1969 but he was traded to the white Sox for tommy agee a uh, key factor of the team that won the uh, world series in 1969 and uh you know some you'll find out some very interesting facts as far as things that jack fisher did as well as his opinion on uh you know what what he thought of you know the, the organization and uh, the, you know the fundraiser and everything like that so you know, just sit with me. You listen to my interview with Jack Fisher. Hope you guys enjoy. Right, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Jack Fisher. Jack, what's going on, man? Not much. Not much. Just playing a lot of golf. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. And you know, uh, you know, first let's let's get into a little bit about the uh, you know the the best awards banquet and stuff like that. And you know, tell us a little bit about you know your perspective on what you saw there, and you know, maybe what that means to you. Uh,
1: well, I'll tell you what they do
0: obviously a very super job and, and uh you know and, and anytime you can help out the young kids uh, that's that's very very important yeah no question about it and you know obviously you've had a chance to do uh you know a lot of different uh you know char- charity events and stuff like that was there anything about this that kind of stood out to you Yeah, no question about it. And I'll tell you, you know, to me, you know, it was a you know, they, obviously you had you know, you were there with several other players, but to, to me it was uh, yeah, I thought it was kinda interesting how uh, you know, a group of baseball players kinda united for one cause that really had nothing to do with baseball. It's good for us to get together, too. Yeah, no question about it. And then, Jack, of course, you know, you right. had a career to spend in about 11 years with the Orioles and Mets and stuff like that. Right. Uh, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about your time, particularly in New York with the Mets. You obviously had Casey Stengel as your manager, and then right. eventually, right. You, uh, you know, you had a chance to pitch with Tom Seaver. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, is John Pielmeier, former major league pitcher Jack Fisher. Now, you know, you know, th- during the nineteen sixty seven season, of course, you were, you know, you were there. You saw Tom Seaver come up. Uh, was you know, you mentioned about you know, how, you know, also seeing Kuzman and stuff like that, and you know, being there and working with him a little bit. Uh, did you see that team kind of almost ready to take the steps that it ended up taking a couple of years ago after you were no longer there? Well, I I'd probably. Yeah, no question about it. And, of course, you end up finishing your career with the Chicago White Sox in 68 and uh, the Reds in 69. Uh, You know, tell us a little bit about those last couple years. You you know, you pitched with the White Sox and then, uh, of course, with the Reds in 69.
1: And, and and for some reason I didn't get to pitch a lot over there. And uh, I don't know, maybe he's smarter than I thought, <laughs> not, not pitching me. But uh, but I got to play with a, you know Pete Rose and a lot of a lot of really good good players over there. So they were two enjoyable years.
0: Yeah, no question about it and i tell you you see a you know you're part of a cincinnati reds team that was kind of on the rise again at the time of course the big red machine of the 70s and yeah you know, did you see you know similar to the mets i mean i'm sure you saw you saw some uh, some signs that that team was probably going to be good for years to come Oh, god yeah. No, no question about it. Once again, this is John Piali. I'm here with Jack Fisher. Now, you know, just kind of rewinding a little bit. Um, you know, you, you had the opportunity to give up, and obviously, it's something you didn't do intentionally, but you gave up a home run to Ted Williams in his final career at bat in uh, September. i like to say that
1: he hung around he finally hit one off of I me, mean, then he blew-
0: <laughs> yeah, now going back to that I bat, yeah, you know, was it was it something that you know, obviously at the time I figured, you know, just about everybody there and everybody in baseball knew that that probably was going to be his last time, you know, coming yeah, to he bat. For the game, if that was going to be it, and actually, my roommate at the time
1: was Steve Barber, and he started the game. And uh, in the first inning, they had scored two runs, and they had the bases loaded, and Steve hadn't gotten anybody out yet. I'm in the game. And said it went into the into the dugout, and the two runs scored, and I lose the game five to four. So that's the only thing that I I was really
0: upset about was the fact that we lost the ball game. Yeah, and I tell you something interesting you brought up. You know, obviously it's the difference in the way you know pitchers are used now and they were back in the time when you pitched. I mean, you know, you, you come in as a you know, reliever in the first inning, you know, you would think that there was no chance of anything like that happening now. But right. you know, but you know, right back to you now. know, back then, you know, you you know, a pitcher came in and they were expected to go as long as they could. Well, you know, yeah. you know if you're oh, if you yeah. were a starter yeah, you're yeah, supposed to finish it. I mean
1: every time I every time I started a ball game, you know, it was my full intention to pitch nine innings and, uh, and
0: I did most of the time. Yeah, no question about it. Once against John P. Elliott, Jack Fisher now. You know, a year later, you end up giving up uh, Roger Maris's 60th home run. Uh, to t- tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Obviously, it's something that you know. Uh, you, you know well, was, well,
1: obviously, he had a pretty good batter in
0: mind, him too. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and in that game, I was ahead, I believe, three to one, and I I
1: just made a very very bad pitch to Maris. I I hung a curveball to him and. Uh, he hit the home run, but once again we're still winning up. Uh, I mean, we're still winning by one run, so that's my whole idea is to make sure that we win the ball game. And believe it or not, same thing happened with uh, two outs in the ninth inning. i have
0: Nah, that's crazy, and I tell you, you know, you know, you end up in nineteen sixty four becoming teammates with Tracy Stallard, who of course gave up Maris's sixty first. And
1: he's still a great friend of mine,
0: yeah. And I'm sure you guys had a, you know, at least at least some some dialogue back and forth, you know, in regards to that, huh? Yeah, no question about it. I tell you, it was—it was—it's pretty interesting the way that ends up turning out. Listen, Jack, I want to thank you for having some time, and obviously, you know, your support with the best organization and everything. And you know, best of luck to you, man. Hope to catch you next year. Okay, thanks a lot. Nice talking to you. Yeah, same here, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that spot there with Jack Fisher, and of course, you know, you heard Jack Fisher gave up. The home run to Ted Williams in his last at-bat, as well as uh, Roger Maris' 60th home run. That's when he was pitching for the Baltimore Orioles prior to him joining the Mets. Of course, he finished his career uh, with a couple teams with the White Sox. I told you about the trade for Tommy Agee. And then a year later with the Cincinnati Reds when he ended up uh, going uh, you know, w- with that team, an up-and-coming team in the 1969 Cincinnati Reds. Of course, the big red machine of the 70s uh, was kind of just being born. And, uh, you know, he had a chance to pitch for a lot of different teams. But one thing I do want to get into is a guy that I had on my show last week, Al Oliver. And Al Oliver, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, he's a guy that you don't really look at too much in regards to baseball, his place in baseball history, and him being a Hall of Famer. But I'll tell you, you know, if you listen to my interview last week, you'll see that he touched on the fact that he was essentially eliminated from the game because of collusion and you know the fact that owners just decided what players they were going to sign and what players they weren't going to sign kind of uh giving them more leverage when it comes to players contracts which they they thought at the time was getting out of hand and you know what compared to what had happened before it kind of was but you look back at it now and you think of you know contracts in 1985 and contracts in 2013 and and you, you probably laugh you laugh your ass off when you say hey the money that they were giving out in 1985 was too much are you kidding me look at you know look at the contracts of guys like you know Alex Rodriguez and Albert Pujols and uh you know all the pitchers Clayton Kershaw you know will get and Zach Greinke is getting now I mean it's ridiculous uh you know if you if you say that 1985 the players were overpaid but that's what ended up happening and they blackballed a lot of players a lot of good players a lot of players that had a lot to do with the game and its history. And Al Oliver, who ended up stopping at 2,743 hits and 529 doubles, a 303 career hitter, ends up only getting 4.3% of the vote in 1991 when he was eligible for the first time for the Hall of Fame. And, you know, that, that, that was, you know, it didn't do him justice because, number one, he didn't finish his whole career. Had he stuck around, let's say, with Toronto or another American League team for a good four or five years, he made an excellent point. Look at Paul Molitor. Paul Molitor ended up with over 3,300 career hits because he spent, essentially, the last 10 years of his career as a DH. Al Oliver certainly would have been a serviceable hitter, a left-hand hitter who knew how to hit. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily a power guy, but drove in runs when he had to and had the ability to hit the ball to all fields. You tell me the guy couldn't have gotten uh, 257 hits in, in the next two, three seasons and gotten himself to 3,000 hits? And we talk about compilers. You talk about a guy like Craig Biggio, who you say, hey, he stuck around long enough and compiled 3,000 hits. Well, that 3,000 hits didn't get him in a Hall of Fame this year, but it will. And you, f- you figure a lot of the baseball writers you know, involved in the vote this year – Kind of, uh, kind of blackballed everybody. They wanted to make a stand to say that they're against the steroid thing and everything going on with that. But Craig Biggio will be in the Hall of Fame, and if Al Oliver got himself two hundred fifty-seven more hits, this wouldn't even be a discussion. He would be a Hall of Famer. And you look at a guy that you know was a was was a very big part of the Pittsburgh Pirate teams of the early to mid seventies. Was overshadowed, of course. Because he played with Roberto Clemente, he was overshadowed because he played with Willie Stargell, and later on after Clemente's unfortunate passing, he played with Dave Parker. And there was you know, star players around him, but he, he, he got the job done. He put up numbers, maybe not based on his career in Pittsburgh, but you add what he did in Texas and what he did in Montreal after that, and you realize that the guy put together a very good career and deserves to be recognized in baseball hall of fame so you know i know we talked about this last week with al oliver and afterwards but i do want to kind of reiterate the fact that he does belong in baseball's hall of fame uh moving on a couple a couple sad passings in major league baseball you find out that uh george boomer scott passed away at age 69 and I had reached out to, to George and had a chance to speak to him briefly. Uh, unfortunately was never able to put anything together in regards to an interview but well one of the, one of the more underrated power hitters of, of the of, of the 1970s with the with the Boston Red Sox and then with the Milwaukee Brewers of course I'd written about him probably about a year ago in regards to uh, his comparison to Cecil Cooper. and Cecil Cooper was of course with the Boston Red Sox then traded to the Milwaukee Brewers for George Scott and uh you know george scott ended up start you know starting out in uh you know started out in milwaukee and it ended up in boston and you know he had a very good career it was one of the, you know known as boomer a guy that uh you know could certainly hit hit for some power and you know sad that you know i was unable to really uh do an interview with him but you know i do want to say rest in peace george scott another guy that passed away this week was uh former cubs pitcher frank castillo and it looks like it was a sudden accident and, you know, something, I have to believe he drowned if I'm not mistaken, but he was only 44 years old. And, you know, you look at a guy that, you know, you know, was a decent pitcher for a handful of seasons, was not dominant, but he was a serviceable fourth or fifth starter, mostly with the Chicago Cubs. And obviously sad to see that, you know, anybody goes that early on. But once again, John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, we'll take our first break, probably get you back into another interview after this.
2: I'm Karen Siaska-Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call. 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathan'scompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter.
1: Listening to MTR Radio, powered by
0: MTRMedia.com.
2: This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to MTRRadio.com, fantastic! Que bueno! But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24/7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio.
0: Oh, yeah. Welcome back. John P.L.A. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. And we're going to get into an interview that I recorded with Don DeMola. And Don DeMola was a pitcher for the uh, Montreal Expos in the 1970s. He pitched two years. And you can tell he's got a little bit of uh, animosity towards, you know, what ended up happening. He ends up having his arm burn out, And, you know, it forces him to have a short career in the major leagues. He touches on a lot of different things. And I do want to remind you guys, if you're listening to the show, You know, you you got anything you got to share, you want to share with me, you want to interact with me, go back and forth, tweet at me, at John underscore PLA. And if you're about to listen to this interview, there's something that he touches on. There's a player that I'm not going to say he goes after, but he, he is negative towards a player that a lot of people have a hard time being negative towards. And if you listen to this interview, I guarantee you're going to be tweeting at me at John underscore Piele because, like I said, dude, he t- takes a shot where few have taken shots at. But i tell you, you know, a guy who went through a lot during his career, and you, know, you really hear some good stories there. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview, this little spot I did with former Montreal Expos pitcher Don DeMola. Hey, good afternoon. It's John Piele. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Don DeMola. Don, what's going on, buddy? Hey, how you doing here, John? What's going on? Not much, man. First, uh, let's get a little bit of perspective. Yeah, I've been gone for a little while. (laughs) But, um,
1: no, I have, um, let's see, if if I had to go with my claims to fame, uh, my first year I had an 18-inning scoreless inning streak, which was about six or seven appearances, 18 innings, no runs, uh, about 10 hits, no walks, and 18 Ks. And I was a total recipient of one victory. In my second year, I had a 25-2 uh, third inning scores inning streak, which was uh, comprised of about 12 games. And again, I gave uh, I up, walked away with a, record. a, one, win, a one one record, uh, a one-win and one-save record. That's because a wonderful team I pitched for. So, I, uh, I was very young, in 1974, I was the youngest guy in the National League until June, until another uh, pitcher came up that was about a year younger than me. So, I, uh, you know, I was a guy that had to grow up very fast, very quickly. And I blew through the Montreal the, uh, farm system. I was a Yankee drafty. Had seventeen big league camp. Eighteen released at nineteen. Didn't play, and then I got signed. And in less than a year, I, I skipped AAA and made it to the big
0: leagues. Yeah, and i tell you, you make your you obviously make your debut in the seventy four season. You play for for Gene Mock. Tell us a little bit about the uh, nineteen seventy four Montreal Expos team that you were a part of. Well, I remember that we stunk. We didn't
1: score runs. We made errors. We uh, set the longest, um, at the time since expansion, the most uh, extra winning games played, you know, uh, for a franchise since expansion, so that I means since 62. But um, I know is that uh, it's a lot different today than it was back then. When, when you were pitching, you got put in the game, and you were expected to pitch. I watched the game last night, Yankee game. The score was tied. Put Mariano in in the top uh, of the ninth, and they scored a run in the bottom of the ninth. You would never, if you got put into that game in the ninth inning, you expected to pitch five, six innings, or whatever it took. And that's what we—that was what I did. That's what we all did. The uh, the fact if the Yankees didn't score in the bottom of the ninth inning, maybe Mariano would have pitched another inning. I doubt it. But they would have taken him out of the game, and then they would have went on their merry way and, and played 18 innings or whatever. So it's a lot different game today, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. You know, it, it's just hard to compare a guy today from a guy 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's just it's
0: just not fair. No, I, I tell you, very true. Once again, to John Pierre, I'm here at Don Demola. Now, when you you know when you came in the game, you know you were expected to pitch. Let's say you entered a game in the third inning. You know, you oh, yeah. you understood that oh, you you're probably going to pitch to the ninth if you needed. Had,
1: uh, you had to, um, hold on one second. You, you had to pitch. I mean, I was brought into games 3-0 bases loaded. 3-2 bases loaded. Wow. So you tell me, I mean, you want to mention Mariano? You tell me when he had brought into a situation like that ever. Never. he's pitched for the biggest payroll and the winningest team since he's been in the big leagues if everybody wants to go and check out some numbers go check out trevor hoffman's numbers he has over 600 saves his rec his numbers for the same time period he's retired he's he's out now in a couple of years are very similar to mariano's the only difference
0: he he had 40 saves when his team lost
1: 90 games. Yeah, exactly. Go look at his his team numbers, look at his numbers, look at his ERA, look at his strikeouts, and look at everything. Why does everybody forget about Trevor Hoffman, who pitched for a team that wasn't contending every year for, for a playoff spot or a World Series? Nobody even
0: brings him up like he doesn't exist. Yeah, very true, man. If Mariano was in San Diego
1: and Trevor Hoffman was in New York, they'd be kissing his ass right
0: now. No, very true, man. And I'll tell you, you look at you know, the fact that a lot of the teams that Hoffman pitched for, they were kind of, kind of up and down. Like, he was on the 98 team oh, that went to the World Series, dogs. and then he went to some other teams that got better. So he, he was part of some good teams, but there was a ton of up and downs. Like you mentioned, there was like 90 lost seasons, 95 lost seasons, and you know he still continued to put up the numbers, and I think that's a great comparison. Yeah, I don't want
1: to see to say it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I tell you, he put him you put him in New York. He might have been better than Mariano. I think that's a great point.
1: Without a doubt. Hello, hello. <laughs> but nobody even mentions it. Why? Why? Now, I like you. I said, if A Rod would have started his career in, in Yankee Stadium and Jeter in Seattle, nobody would know who Jeter is. Do you know who Troy Tulewitzki is? Yes. Does anybody know
0: who Troy Tulewitzki is? Yeah, he's the best shortstop in the game right now. That's right, but does anybody
1: know that? He went really for the Rockies. Nobody knows and nobody cares.
0: Yeah, that's how you put that shortstop in New York with the I Yankees. I have no in. problem with, with Peggy and Mariano and Trevor
1: because you have to put them in the same breath as of the guys of today. But you can't punish. You can't say he's the best all the time because Mariano would have had two zippers on his elbow like me. I had two months off in three years because my manager kept making me go to winter ball. And back then if you didn't go, you weren't in the big leagues. If you listen to your manager, you didn't go to the big You weren't in the big leagues. So you, I, I was pressured. I threw harder than Mariano. I, I, I threw like goose. I threw in the high 90s. So uh, my arm got burned out, and then then crapped on. But you know what? They have their time. We got we had our time. You can't call him the best of all time because it's just not fair. He's never been in there with two guys on. He's never come in with with, with the bases loaded and, and like I did, three and oh, three and two counts. The first hitter I faced in the big leagues was a left-handed hitter, Rick Monday. And when he said, how come, he, how come you bring in Damola
0: to face Brick Monday? And then, you, know, you know what Mark said to the reporters? What? Lefty, righty. They still got to hit his fastball. Yeah, exactly. I tell you, that's another way that the game has changed a lot. Well, what well do you...
1: but I, I, it tells you what kind of heat I had.
0: No, oh, exactly, dude. Yeah, it it doesn't matter. Left-handed, right-handed. He's
1: hit, they got to hit his fastball. So... But I mean to, to say that, that he's the best all the time, no. But I, I ain't taking away his accolades. I'm not taking them away. But but it's just not it's just not fair, you know. I mean, there were a lot of guys back then that pitched three innings, six innings. Raleigh fingers, talk to Raleigh. Seven innings, eight innings. He could have never done that. I pitched seven days in a row.
0: Seven days in a row and not one inning. Yeah, I tell you, it's so, crazy. You got it, you, you know. Get, so
1: it's just, it's just not fair. You know, I don't have a pension because
0: Mark abused my arm. But it, you know what? Hey, it is what it is. Yeah, now I hear you, man. Once again, John Piele here with Don DeMola. Now, you know, I, I guess, you know, arm problems kind of led towards your career ending a little prematurely, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had two weeks, two months off in three years. Wow. He kept making me go to Winterball. My first year in Winterball, I blew the league away. Goose was down there; he was on another team. I never saw him again. They kept making me want to be a starter. When you pitch six innings out of relief and you shut down the Phillies, you shut down the big Red Machine and the Pirates. What well, do you gotta go to Winterball again? But he kept making me go to Winterball. I didn't have to prove nothing to nobody. You pitch six innings today, you make you make fifteen million a year.
0: Exactly, and I tell you, you look at it now. Uh it the, $15 million a year. Yeah, and the fact that these pitchers are worth, you know, to what people say is the money that they end up making is, you know, you look at the fact that, you know, you would never put, you know, a prize pitcher or somebody you had value in oh. in winter ball for that reason.
1: No. You know, let's say, hey, you know, we had – the starting pitchers kept charts. They kept charts of where guys hit balls. And, and in each chart, for each batter, they kept the, – the amount of pitches to that at bat. But nobody told him at the end. Nobody gave a crap. They just wanted to know where he hit the ball and what he hit, and that's all they did. Now it's all a, whole, a whole pitch-count thing. It's all a pitch-count thing. You know, oh, so many pitches, that of that, that. Nobody cared about that. You, you know, I wanna up five times in a night and back in the game.
0: Yeah, and that, that counts for something. I mean you, you know no, today a guy
1: warms up, he's in the game. Exactly. Nobody warms up today and doesn't pitch. It doesn't happen. No. If he warms up, he's in the game. I've warmed up the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh and not pitch. No, there so you you know, you know, I mean, all those things take a toll on you. So, it's, you know, hey, like I said, you, you can't, um, you know, back then when, when, when I played, there were guys swinging 38, 48, 40-ounce 40 bats. Who the hell is swinging that crap today? Nobody. Nobody is swinging a bat like that today. You know why? Because everybody out of the bullpen is throwing in the high 90s or 100s. Not very
0: everybody. Yeah, very true, man. You need a
1: fresh arm all the time.
0: I tell you, 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 know. you know, when you when you end up, uh, you know, pitching, you know, you you have, you have that year in nineteen seventy five. You get in sixty games, you know, you throw almost hundred innings. So there's many many games yeah, that but, came but
1: in. You there. don't realize something. I was I was on my way to the All Star game. I had a one point nine going into the All Star break. My arm started to hurt me. I, I had a bad game in Cleveland, in uh, Houston, I think it was. And then Mark Hickey, I had, I was in almost forty games before the All Star break. Just putting you in games, he took out of it. Dennis Blair was was winning a game in Philly in the sixth inning. He was three and He took him out, put me in, and I had pitched. That was I gave up. That was the uh, first run I gave up in the uh, no. That was in seventy five. That was in, that was the first run I gave up in twenty six innings. My arm just couldn't do it no more. My arm couldn't do it no more. And I gave up a home run to Jay Johnstone,
0: who happened to be a very good friend of mine. And after the game he said, I
1: thought you threw me a change up and I said, No, man, that was my fastball. Now when so Mark just took somebody he took you out and, and put somebody in. Dennis, it was three nothing. he was fishy wow, fine. He took him out of the game, and put me
0: in. I got I got a gun. Nobody on base. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all man well you go look at his record when he was at
1: the Phillies when he had an 8 or 9 game lead and
0: he choked that yes he did 1964 he choked it he was a choke manager the man
1: was smarter than the umpires but he was a choke manager he never won nothing he knew everything he was smart I respect the man he was smart as hell and, and he came up with great sayings I mean he was really very very cliche beautiful but you know what yeah, i tell you again. All right, listen to this. Steve Renko's pitching. We're in Montreal. First inning. How's me warming up? Renko's pitching. First inning. After the inning, sit down. Second inning, warm up. Again. Inning gets out of the inning, sit down. For four innings, you have me warming up every inning with Renko. Fifth inning, it pours, pours, rain, games canceled. Later on, I see Duke Snyder was our batting coach. Later on, I see Duke at this restaurant right by my apartment. Big Sills, big big hangout for Montreal players, especially uh, the black guys. It was a great place, I loved it. She was from Barbados, she was like my mother. Big think woman black as hell, but man, I loved the death out of her, man. She was an awesome lady. So I see Duke in there and I say, hey Duke, what's the shit? What's going on? He said, there was a forecast for rain. And if there was an opportunity to pinch hit and, and score a run and, and get five innings in,
0: because you were a fast worker in you, th- you threw strikes, that he was going to pinch hit and take Wrenko out of the game and put you in the game. Uh, but I walked out four times for so nothing. Yeah, I tell you, it definitely takes its toll on you, man. And, yeah, obviously, you know, you uh, have you know, I mean, like, you know, just letting you know, I mean, you know, and Duke, I was very close with Duke, you know, uh, really close. I'll tell you a funny story with Andre, and then, then I'm gonna let you go. Oh, no problem. Andre hit a home run off me in, in Daytona. Over the, in spring training, we were playing at the squad game.
1: And uh, so Duke says to me, comes over to me, and he goes, gee, no, he ain't doing this out way. He's a really classy guy. He goes, I had to get in my car, and drive to the Americano and open my window so that ball could come in, you know, so it didn't break my window in my room. So I told that to Andre that night at the dinner. You know, I was talking, to him talking about Gary, my roomie and shit, you know. Yeah.
2: Uh, so he
1: goes, uh, so he says, you remember that? I says, yeah, I remember that. And I said, do you remember I struck you out the next time up? He says, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he ate a moonshot off my ass. And, and so the next time up, I adjusted and I struck him out. But Duke comes over to me and rubs it, you know, rubs it in, you know, like, oh, I had to get in my car and go open my window, you know. But it was, uh, that no, was funny. But Andre, I love Andre, man. He's a class guy. Class dude
0: all the way, man. Class. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Don, I want to thank you for having some time today, man. And, uh, you know, best of luck. Maybe I'll see you at the event next year. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll be there. If he invites, I'm there, man. All right, nice man. Talking to you, yeah, same here, man. Thank you. It's David. So great hearing some stories that uh, Don had to share. Obviously, you know, he touches on the Mariano thing. And, you know, I look forward to discussing. Let me know what you think about that. I mean, it's some, some, some uh, you know, strong stuff. And, you know, you make the comparison to relievers that pitched in the 70s and, you know, their role compared to what it is now. Even a guy like Lee Smith, who really went from a two-inning pitcher to a one-inning pitcher. But at the same time, you know, in defense, obviously, to Mariano, which most of you all are going to be in defense of, you know, Mariano was was great in the postseason. He was a a staple over many years. And, you know, essentially, you know, reinvented the, the role of a closer from one pitch. And as a first ballot Hall of Famer, one thing that you can't say really about Trevor Hoffman or Goose Gossage, though he's in the Hall of Fame, or Raleigh Fingers, though he's in the Hall of Fame, you know, Mariano in his own way is the greatest of all time. But my, my uh, I guess my uh, objection or my little uh, rebuttal is the fact that it's hard to compare closers now to closers then. Mariano is the best that we've seen in our time. But it's hard to compare a guy that's pitched one inning to a guy that pitched three innings to a guy you know to a guy to even pitch before that when there was no closers so lots of interesting things to think about like I said tweet at me John underscore PLA I'm happy to participate in the discussion but we're going to take a break right now or finish up the first hour of the program back after this I'm Ron Sulpizzi from the MTR Sports Report not sure where to eat then listen to these reviews awesome amazing Greek food everything is fresh great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City Katina's is an Ocean City staple When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant.
1: In your face, all over the place. We're online 24 7, 24 7. You're listening to the hottest internet station, (laughs) MTR Radio. 554433211. you're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition.
0: Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio.
2: And you're listening to MTR Radio, a flipping out radio production.
1: And you've got it. Hot, hot,
0: hot, hot, hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Bring the heat.
1: Always covering the most current topics today check us out on mtrradio.com
0: we will offer packages to advertise on our website and on mtr radio get your name in front of over five and a half million people advertise on mtr today email info at mtrmedia.com for details
2: Show
0: at Oh yeah, welcome back, John Pielli Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, finishing up the first hour, and I'm going to get into it. I did want to take debate last week, and honestly, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't ready to talk about it. I was just tired of hearing about it. But here you're going to get a little perspective for me with the Biogenesis thing, Alex Rodriguez, the whole story. And, you know, obviously Major League Baseball and the New York Yankees are working together with Bud Selig to try to essentially eliminate this guy from the game. And, you know, it's up to Alex Rodriguez whether he wants to accept. This so-called plea deal or whatever set up with Major League Baseball, and you hear from reporters that they're out, out there looking to suspend him for the rest of this season and arrest the, the next season as a plea deal, and kind of throw in a caveat and saying, "Listen, Alex, you could still collect sixty million dollars on your contract." Now, for most Americans, for most people, that. You know, look at baseball and it's exorbitant salaries that they give out to players. $60 million, you say, hey, listen, I would just take that. But from a guy who, whether you say he earned or didn't earn the contract, the New York Yankees went out there and gave him the contract. And obviously, I don't think they, they felt that he was tied up with steroids, that he was still using, you know, the whole thing. It under, it's understandable why the Yankees are bitter here. They, they don't want to pay a guy that's in all this trouble. They want to pay a guy that's going out there hitting 40, 50 home runs. So to a certain extent, you can understand the Yankees' perspective on this. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you issues that I got with the Yankees. And I'm going to give you issues that I have with Major League Baseball, Bud Selig, and in the Players Association. Because I think all four entities here are wrong. First, with the Yankees. The Yankees are in a situation where they, they preach nothing but the Yankee way. What do you hear all the time? This is the Yankee way. The Yankee way is about winning. I don't care about you know the thought about being respectful or you know being a, being a nice guy. I mean, this is a this is an organization that had Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson, and prior to that, guys like Mickey Mantle who were were not necessarily a, a gentleman off off the diamond. The Yankee way has been about winning. Since the early part of the 1920s. you listened to me last week. I did a nice little monologue in regards to Jacob Rupert, the former Yankees owner that essentially took the Yankees from being a laughing stock team into a very viable contender. And, you know, the best organization in the history of professional sports. And it's, a, it's been about winning. It was about winning then. It was about winning in the 50s and the early part of the 60s. It was about winning in the late 70s. And the last 15, 16 years since 1995, when the Yankees returned to the postseason, it has been about winning. The Yankees have a third baseman in David Adams that's hitting under 200. They're running guys like Jason Nix and Brent Lillibridge and Luis Cruz out there to play third base. My issue with the Yankees is if Alex Rodriguez is healthy. The Yankee way that I just mentioned before, which means winning, Alex Rodriguez gives them a better chance to win than those other players that are there. So if he's healthy and available to play, he should be in a lineup. Agree with me or disagree. That's my point. Major League Baseball, they want to they make up their own rules right now because they feel they got all this extra stuff. They want to make up all these extra charges and saying that he had possession of steroids, he bought steroids, he used steroids, he cleaned a steroid needle up when he was done and he threw it in the garbage. And they want to add every charge known to man that said that he hindered evidence, that he told somebody that he didn't do steroids when he did. And they want to add charge after charge after charge and make it seem like you got this big, huge, unbreakable case against you. Now, a lot of it's true. The fact that he did do steroids is almost certainly a fact. But please stop with this exaggeration crap. You're out there exaggerating. You're going to tell me that it's a, it's a penalty to buy steroids. It's a penalty to put the steroids in the syringe. And it's another penalty to stick them into your body. And it's another penalty to take the needle out of your skin. Stop with these excessive charges. The bottom line is he violated... The agreement between, and I'm going to get into the Players Association in a little bit. He violated the agreement between the owners and the players. The joint treatment and and prevention policy that they have in Major League Baseball. He violated it. So he deserves a suspension. That should go within the policies set forth in that agreement. And I don't care. You know what you say here about oh you know what but he did all this extra stuff now he used steroids just like anybody else he shouldn't have he deserves to be suspended and you know if you want to if you want to make the debate about whether he deserves 50 or 100 games that's one thing if you if you got him before if you feel like there's enough evidence to say that it qualifies as two instances of insubordination or you know what whatever it is a violation of the agreement then I I agree with a 100 game suspension but the fact that you don't have a failed drug test on hand, that counts. Remember, the one taken in 2003 was completely anonymous. His name should never have been leaked. But in regards to the way the collective bargaining agreement was set, you're looking at 50 or 100 games. Bud Selig. And can you be a bigger joke than Bud Selig? Can he be a bigger hypocrite? Then Bud Selig, you, you hear the guy go out there and make these quotes and you know tell you everybody, go on you know, David Letterman and tell, tell everybody how he's out to clean up the game of baseball. He wants to be remembered as the guy to clean steroids out of baseball. Are you kidding me? Where was Bud Selig in 1998? When, when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa are in a home run chase. Three years later when Barry Bonds is hitting 73 home runs and breaking Hank Aaron's record. A record that apparently meant a lot to Bud Selig. What was he doing then? And then all of a sudden, Congress gets themselves involved. Because if it wasn't for Congress, Major League Baseball still may not have done anything about this. So if you have a problem with it, you should have done something about it 10 years ago. Let alone within the last 5-6 years. So Bud Selig, you can't be any more of a hypocrite than you are. And finally, Major League Baseball's Players Association. The greatest union in the entire United States of America. Not anymore. You're watching right before your very eyes the Major League Baseball Players Association folding right in front of our face. And, you know, Michael Weiner, who is the head of the Players Association right now, you understand he's going through a lot. You know he's got cancer. He's he, you know he, he you know he's fighting it the best he can. You know God you know God bless him and hopefully he could get through it and I hope he lives many many more years. We understand that he has his own individual battles that he's fighting within himself. But the Baseball Players Association was the strongest union. they were strong enough to maybe make a case to not to not even have steroids testing at all if they didn't want to, and that was Donald Fears' approach. He was wrong for it. Yes, he was definitely wrong and incorrect with that assessment. Gene Orza, who you know, you know, made, it, made it as a, a comparison to recreational drugs and drinking, it was wrong. But the Players Association has been broken to a point. First it was broken by Congress, then it was broken by Major League Baseball, and now you have players that are mentioned in this biogenesis thing. That that are subject to suspensions that have nothing to do with anything collectively bargained. And that's where I have an issue. And you may say, hey, he comes across like he's a guy that, you know, this John P. Elliott he doesn't you know, he doesn't care about, you know, steroids in a game. I do to a point. But but I'm 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 not blind enough to say that it didn't exist. I'm not blind enough to say that players haven't been violating the rules and doing everything they can to get an advantage for a hundred years already. But the Players Association, folding right before our very eyes. Are you watching it? Because if Major League Baseball and Bud Selig and any type of arbitrator rules that a suspension for Alex Rodriguez could be life or could be two years or could be X amount for a first violation, then where does that fit in with the agreement between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the owners that's in the collective bargaining agreement right now? Now, should it change? Listen, that's a whole other discussion. It's a whole other conversation we could have about it. We could talk about how maybe the next collective bargain agreement, maybe they increase the penalties. Maybe they, they set themselves up to where they try to further themselves from the steroids era in Major League Baseball, which I think we could all agree that we want to see happen. But the Players Association is, is folding right before our eyes. And if they, if they allow, if they're encouraging these players to take these plea deals. If they encouraged Ryan Braun to take a 65-game suspension for what is considered a first offense, now you say, "Oh man, John, how the hell could you say that?" You know, you know, number one, you're a guy that hates, hates Ryan Braun. Number two, you you know you, you understand that he failed the test last year and got away with it. All right, but where is the support from the Players Association? Donald Fear would have backed Ryan Braun to the end and encouraged him to fight it, just like he did. Through steroids and way before that, and you know everything in regards to getting players' contracts and the collective bargaining agreements in the past, he did everything he could to support the players. Now you're looking, you say, "Hey, the betterment of baseball. Is it the betterment of baseball? You know, you, you know, you, are you going to watch things swing the other way?" I'm going to close it up by saying this: You had the reserve clause in Major League Baseball, which the players were owned. And the owners had a distinct advantage over them for several years. And then he got into a free agency and the players and their association grew. And, you know, they took the advantage. But then after that, we looks like we might be swinging the other way into a situation where the owners, do not, owners control Major League Baseball and the players are peons once again. John Pielli, thanks for being part of me this first hour. Back after this.